Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. A couple of big stories that I, you know, I want to just jump right into. Number one, Breonna Taylor and the news that came down yesterday. It came down during the, uh, the tail end of our show, and we didn't get to it, so uh, I want to get into that. And can Donald Trump get away with normalizing a coup? We'll get into that in just a moment or two. So... Starting with Breonna Taylor, you've got three cops who were involved in this thing. One of them stood out in the parking lot and shot his gun through Breonna Taylor's window. None of those bullets hit her or her boyfriend, but instead they went into the apartment next door, which was occupied by white people. And that's what he's been charged with. He's been charged with recklessly endangering not Breonna Taylor or her boyfriend, but the white people next door. Let that sink in for a minute. Daniel Cameron, who is the attorney general for Kentucky, an African-American Republican, he spoke at the Republican convention in praise of Donald Trump. Right? This is the guy. Uh, he came out yesterday and read this out. And what people are wanting to know is what was presented to the grand jury. Because generally speaking, when prosecutors bring things to a grand jury, the grand jury says, OK, you got it. I mean, you know, what's the old the old saying, you know, a grand jury can indict a ham sandwich. We just don't know. What we do know is that Kenneth Walker III, her boyfriend, had a concealed carry permit, was a licensed gun owner. We've got right-wing, the Small Penis Gun Club has invaded Louisville now with right-wing guys with their giant phony or artificial penises, their AR-15s slung over their shoulders, marching around, supposedly to defend the rights of people who are legal carriers of weapons. He was her boyfriend. But there's something wrong here. There's something deeply wrong here. And it may be that the attorney general is right, that by the current law, those cops did nothing wrong. You know, outside of the guy who stood out in the parking lot just shooting randomly into the building. Not randomly, but shooting into the building. Which would tell us, by the way, that this law that has been tweaked and fine-tuned and carefully massaged over 400 years in the United States, these laws that, that have been used to perpetuate racism and slavery and the oppression of an underclass principally made up of people of color, but also in many states made up of poor white people, that these laws that basically give the police this quasi-authoritarian power are doing just what they're intended to do, and therefore, obviously, getting justice for Breonna Taylor would be a good thing. But that said, the, I don't want to say larger issue, because I don't want to minimize her death in any way at all. But, you know, clearly we've got a problem with the way that our laws are written in the United States, the ways that our laws are applied the way that our laws are enforced, and the people that we hire to enforce those laws. The cop who stood out of the parking lot and shot into the apartment from the parking lot through the window, that guy had been fired from another police department in Kentucky, 
And the guy who fired him, the police chief who fired him, or the officer doing the evaluation, said he should never work in policing. And yet here he is. So we've got cops moving from... This argues for, at the very least, nationwide licensing of police officers the way that we have nationwide licensing of physicians. Both of them have the ability to kill you. Nationwide licensing of nurses. Both of them have the ability to kill you. And therefore... You license them. You, you regulate them. You make sure that they're not doing that. Over 2,500 people now have been exonerated of serious crimes in the United States after being falsely convicted. This is over the last 30 years. There's a new study that just came out in the National Registry of Exonerations. They found that 72% of the exoneration cases where people were found to be not guilty when the evidence was reevaluated, 72% of these cases involved misconduct by police. In other words, setting people up. 72 friggin' percent of them. If you look at what happened with the Breonna Taylor case, that was certainly the direction they were moving. Number one. Number two, one of the big lessons that Donald Trump has learned through his years being in the center of the New York tabloid media world is that he can normalize just about anything. You know, when he was having an affair on his first wife, Ivana, with Marla Maples and, you know, got her pregnant, the newspapers were outing him for his affair. So what does he do? He calls up the newspaper, pretending to be his own publicist, John Barron, and says, Marla says it's the best sex ever. And then the reporter on the other end says, does Marla really say that? And Trump says, oh, yes. And then a voice on the other side of the room goes, yes, it's the best ever. Uh, who was probably Michael Cohen. <laughs> I mean, but it had changed the entire newspaper narrative, right? And Trump once more proved to himself that he can normalize just about everything, anything. In the last four years, he has normalized lying to the American people on a daily basis. We're no longer shocked by this. It's no longer a news story. Putting lobbyists in charge of virtually every federal agency and looting the federal treasury. We don't talk, you know, it's not a big... Chad Wolf's wife just got $6 million in contracts from the DHS, and he's our secretary of DHS. I mean, that would have brought down the Obama administration, that kind of corruption. But, hey, you know, breaking laws like the Hatch Act right out in public. He's even normalized being accused of rape. He's had two women accuse him of rape since he's been president. Eh, you know, no big deal. He's so normalized ignoring the pandemic that his followers routinely expose themselves to a deadly disease without a second thought. I mean, it's, it's like no matter what Trump or the corrupt, sleazy members of his administration do, day after day, the collective news cycle across America just shrugs its shoulders, and now he's normalizing fascism. He's normalizing federal police taking over our cities, colluding with foreign autocrats, criminalizing protest, and ignoring the result of elections. We have armed vigilantes in our streets, and he praises them as he normalizes a situation that this country has not seen since the Civil War. I mean, in the entire history of our country, one of the most highly cherished and praised values of our country is the peaceful transfer of power. And now Trump is not only denying that he's going to support a peaceful transfer of power, which is how it's being portrayed in the media. Oh, he refuses to say yes. He's actually said no. I mean, he's trying to normalize the idea that states can simply change their laws right around the election so their legislatures can direct their own votes to the Electoral College, which is what Florida was preparing to do. I've got a piece over at alternate.org about that right now. It's what the legislature in Florida was doing on November 29th, 2000 directing their their electoral votes to George W. Bush in the event that the recount showed Al Gore won Florida. Tom Paine talked about the heartbeat of democracy being the vote. Donald Trump is trying to rip that heart out of our republic. We can't let him do it. Speak out. Double check your voter registration at IWillVote.com. Sign up to to phone bank over at Indivisible.org. There's lots we can do is the Tom Hartman Program. Contact your elected officials. Express your outrage on social media. We need to use every tool we have. Help your friends get registered to vote.
Tom Hartman here. My new book, The War on Voting, it should be titled The Republican War on Voting, which is what it really is, Who Stole Your Vote and How to Get It Back. It is the third in the series, the Hidden History series. The first was Guns in the Second Amendment. The second was the Supreme Court, the Betrayal of America. You can check it all out at TomHartman.com. All the information is there. You're listening to Tom Hartman. James in Uniontown, Pennsylvania. Hey, James, what's on your mind today? Oh, hi, Tom. Hey, a couple things. First of all, the first thing I did this morning was went to my uh, voter registration office and I filled out a form to stop them from sending me a mail-in ballot because I'm going to go in person and vote because I'm not taking no chances that my vote ain't going to count because Trump's already yeah. threatening to make all the mail-in ballots illegal. Okay, and now, and also I called both of my state representatives about the Electoral College and the uh, shenanigans that they're talking about pulling off with that, where, like you just was talking about, uh, Bush doing down in uh, Florida in 2020, or I mean right. back in uh, 2000. 2000, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And my one representative called me back. He says they have nothing to do with the Electoral College. That's federal. I said, no, that's but I would like, pardon? That's not true. The uh, Constitution, well, here's how it works, James. The Constitution says the state legislatures get to decide how the Electoral College votes, right? So right now, the law in Pennsylvania says that the Electoral College has to cast their votes for whoever wins the majority of Pennsylvania votes. So, you know, if Donald Trump wins by 10,000 votes like he did last time, the electors, all the Pennsylvania electors have to cast their votes for Donald Trump. Now, what happened in Florida was on November 29th, three weeks after the election, the Florida legislature met and was prepared to. They ended up not doing it because the Supreme Court took the case the next day. But they met and they were prepared to pass a new law that said that the state will not award the Electoral College to whoever gets the most votes. The state will instead award the Electoral College to George W. Bush, period, full stop. And the legislature of Pennsylvania could do the same thing. They could pass a law the day after the election. It takes a day to do it. They could pass the law anytime they want in the weeks after the election saying, hey, it doesn't matter how this vote came out. And this is what Trump is calling for. This is what Republicans are talking about. This is what the head of the Republican Party in Pennsylvania told a reporter, as this is in the Atlantic story, told a reporter that he had discussed with the Trump campaign. So uh-huh. if your state representative and your state senator are uninformed about this, James, it's because they're not paying attention. Okay, and the one representative that did call back, I told him I would like for him to have the representative to go on the media, go on the radio shows and go put an article in the newspaper stating how he is going to vote when it, concerning the Electoral College votes. Right. Yeah, and he it's a good idea. To that. <laughs> to, okay, well, I might tell you something. Is he a Republican? Yes, they are, both of them. This is a yeah, Republican yeah. statement. Yeah. There's nine houses on my street. I'm the only one with the Trump flag, or I mean with a Biden sign. Everyone else got uh-huh. Trump signs out. Oh, my. Okay. Well, James, good on you. <laughs> Thanks for the call. And congratulations. I mean, you know, I tip my hat to you. I salute you for your activism, contacting your state representative, your state senator. Good on you. James, thank you so much for the call. You can help America return to democracy by telling friends and family how to listen to this and other great progressive programs. Tag, you're it. Tom Harbin here with you. So just just to explain how this works, right? Um, we had a listener in Pennsylvania who called up his state representative, who is a Republican, his Pennsylvania state representative, and his Pennsylvania state senator, who is a Republican, and said, basically, I don't want you guys messing with the Electoral College. And the message that he got from them was, the Electoral College is a federal thing. I'm a state legislator. Which is a little disingenuous coming from a Pennsylvania Republican, given that it was 
the head of the Pennsylvania Republican Party who talked with one of the, uh, I believe it was The Atlantic, one of these articles that got published about how Donald Trump and the Republican Party are trying to figure out which of these states, which of the, of the battleground states that are controlled by Republican legislatures can do what Florida tried to do in 2000. So let me just lay this out very simple and very straightforward. And this is, you'll find all this information in this piece that I published over at Alternet. The original title was Republicans that have already tried to game the Electoral College. It's got a different headline on it right now, but it's over at Alternet.org. And Jeffrey Gettleman, writing for the Los Angeles Times, November 29th, 2000, 20 years ago. Quote, Lawmakers on both sides indicated Tuesday that the Republican-dominated legislature will call a special session by the end of the week to appoint its own slate of delegates to the Electoral College. In other words, the Republicans in Florida were getting set to direct the Electoral College about who to vote for, regardless of the outcome of the election, regardless of the outcome. Well, this was the recount that had been ordered by the Florida State Supreme Court. And even if Al Gore won, they were going to give George Bush the election. Quote, this is from the New York Times. The president of Florida's Senate said today that Governor Jeb Bush had indicated his willingness to sign special legislation intended to award Florida's 25 electoral college votes to his brother George W. Bush of Texas, even as the election results were being contested. Lois Frankel, who was the head of the Democrats in 2000 in Florida, said that The governor was Jeb Bush, and Jeb Bush was saying, yes, I will sign legislation to that effect. He's saying, she said, if my brother loses, boys, go ahead and we'll get him elected another way. And the Florida legislators were moving ahead with this. This, again, from the New York Times in 2000, 20 years ago. Hours after Mr. Gore, the Democratic nominee, filed papers here formally contesting Florida's election results, John McKay, the Republican who is the Senate president, told reporters about a conversation he had had with Jeb Bush last week in which they discussed whether Mr. Bush should sign the bill. Last week, in a conversation with Tom Feeney, the Speaker of the House, Mr. Bush said Republican legislators would need to demonstrate political courage in calling a special session to direct the Electoral College vote to his brother. Such a session, he predicted, would exact a certain price on the legislature. The Democrats, they sent the Republicans a sternly worded letter. Honest to God, a sternly worded letter. It said, this action would place a dark partisan stain on our legislature. The Republican response, they laughed. John Yu, his legal opinion was published in the Los Angeles Times saying, yeah, the state can direct the the electors to vote for anyone they want. And the Republicans controlled the Florida House 77 to 43 and the Florida Senate 25 to 15 and probably still control those bodies by about those amounts. So here's how it works. The Constitution says state legislatures decide who has the electoral vote. Every state in the union except Nebraska and Maine have a law on the books that says that whoever wins the majority of the votes in that state the state will direct the Electoral College to vote all of the electoral votes for the state for that person. All right, so here in Oregon, there is a law that says that if Joe Biden wins by 1% or by 20%, doesn't matter, all of the electoral votes, even though half, you know, a little less than half of the electorate voted for Donald Trump, all of the electoral votes go for Joe Biden. It's a winner-take-all thing. Every state has this law except Nebraska and Maine, and they split it among congressional districts. But That law is there because the Constitution says legislatures can pass that law. A legislature can just as easily do exactly what Florida tried to do in 2000 and simply meet in session. It takes them one day and pass a new law which says that the Electoral College vote for the state of fill-in-the-blank, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, whatever it may be, the Electoral College vote this year will go to Donald Trump, regardless of how many people vote for or against him, because we think there's voter fraud and we can't be sure exactly who got elected. So we're just going to give the election to Donald Trump, because after all, he's the president. And then he can just continue in power, to use his phrase from yesterday. So that's what they're up to. And they've already done a dress rehearsal for this in Florida. And, you know, other than these two stories, I spent an hour yesterday researching this, looking back at the newspapers from 2000. Other than the piece in the L.A. Times and the New York Times, there was a small piece in the Washington Post. Basically, the national media ignored this story. 
It was a great test You're run for the Republicans. To the Tom Hartman program. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today we're reading from State Capture, how conservative activists, big business, and wealthy donors reshaped the American states and the nation by Alexander Hertel Fernandez. This is from chapter one, titled The Most Dangerously Effective Organization. Want to buy a law? Teased the normally staid trade publication Bloomberg Business Week in a 2011 article. That piece explained how a relatively unknown group, the American Legislative Exchange Council, ALEC, could turn one bill idea from a business into many, many, many laws in exchange for hefty membership dues. Quote, corporations drop bills off at one end, concluded the journalists, and they come out the other stamped with the imprimatur of a nonprofit, nonpartisan group of state legislators. In the journalist's assessment, that process made ALEC a corporate bill laundry for the states. Investigative journalists from the nation reached a similar conclusion, writing that ALEC's project was best summarized as the complete business domination of American public life. The good government reform outfit Common Cause agreed, summing up their take on ALEC as a group in which, quote, dozens of corporations are investing millions of dollars a year to write business-friendly legislation that is being made into law in state houses coast to coast with no regard for the public interest. 
And in a book on corporate lobbying across the states, labor scholar Gordon Laffer has concluded that, quote, above all, the corporate agenda to shape state policy is coordinated through the American Legislative Exchange Council. These assessments of ALEC paint a clear picture of a business front. That certainly squares well with some examples of the group's activities, like Enron's efforts at deregulation of state electrical markets throughout the 1990s. But the denunciations of ALEC as a corporate bill mill fit more uneasily with ALEC's other lobbying priorities. For instance, Common Cause has pointed out that in addition to lobbying for corporate tax breaks and cuts to regulation, ALEC has been at the forefront of efforts to introduce strict voter ID laws across the states. If it's voter ID, it's ALEC, declared one of Common Cause's directors. And earlier ALEC pushes prevented states from expanding legal rights to LGBT Americans and women. Where is the narrow corporate interest in these social issues? Another source of confusion comes from accounts of ALEC that emphasize its connections to Charles and David Koch, the two mega-wealthy libertarian industrialists who are often known colloquially as the Koch brothers. Importantly, ALEC leaders would need new institutional designs to manage conflicts both within and between their constituent parts. Looking closely at these innovations sheds light on questions of coalition building in the fragmented American political system. In particular, it helps us to understand when businesses are capable of sustained collective political organization in the United States, a surprising outcome for many observers of American politics. In hindsight, it may seem obvious that an organization that brought together political conservatives with private sector companies to lobby state governments would be a useful creation for corporate executives and right-wing activists seeking policy change across the country. Certainly, the parties as organized interests theory I outlined in the last chapter would anticipate that businesses seeking policy change would do well to develop close alliances with such activists and politicians. Yet, on the other hand, a long line of scholars has argued that groups representing businesses and politics in the United States would be too hamstrung by internal conflicts to adopt anything other than flat-out opposition to government. According to those accounts, businesses are too fragmented. Anyhow, State Capture is the book. Alexander Hertel Fernandez is the author. Fascinating news out of Florida. Ron DeSantis wants to make it legal for right-wing people to kill or hit left-wing or Black Lives Matter protesters with cars during... Pro I, do, I, do I have this right? This is amazing. On the line with us is the Florida Commissioner of Agriculture and Consumer Services, Nikki Freed. Nikki is an attorney and activist and the highest ranking Democrat in Florida, was a keynote speaker at the Democratic National Convention. Nikki oversees the state's $137 billion agriculture industry and the food supply chain. Agriculture, the number one industry now in the state of Florida. She also oversees the state's school lunch program that feeds 1.2 million Florida kids launched the Be Smart campaign in uh, Florida last month to encourage mask wearing, absence of leadership from DeSantis. Uh, Commissioner Freed, welcome to the program. Tell us about this uh, new uh, law that apparently the Republicans are all excited about in Florida. Yeah, you know, this was a surprise, certainly, when the governor, along with our potential incoming Speaker of the House and potential Senate president, made this announcement that they are going to be pushing stricter laws or creation of laws reality is, is that this is just a political ploy uh, right out of Trump's playbook. You know, Trump has been going around talking about law and order and, and trying to be fear-mongling to people in our communities. The reality is that people here in the state of Florida are still dealing with COVID. We have over a million people in Florida that are unemployed. Our economy is facing years of recovery ahead of us. We just got hit by a hurricane in the panhandle. We've got some serious issues, but this is the priority of our governor on the Republican Party of the state of Florida. You know, my guess is that Governor read a very long hit piece on him from our Politico that made reference to the fact that the White House is tired of him and they want his head on spikes. And I believe this is probably his way to try to get back into the good graces of the White House. Oh, that's interesting. So correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm misunderstanding this. Trump has been souring on DeSantis because Florida has not only a really high COVID infection rate, but a really high death rate. 
and it's hurting Trump politically. It's hurting Republicans politically in Florida, particularly among people over 50 who are, you know, at the greatest risk of dying if they get this disease or having permanent disability. And so DeSantis, in order to get back into Trump's good graces, is saying, well, let's back a bill that says that you can kill Black Lives Matter protesters. Is it that crass, really? You know, the way I read it, you know, I'm an attorney. I was a past public defender. And, and of course, I'm a firm believer in the due process and the rule of law and, and condemn violence. That's why we already have laws on the books. You know, when the governor was explaining some of these changes, you know, he said, why should somebody be able to throw a brick at a police officer and get away with it? Well, I'm sorry, the last time that I read the laws and was, uh, you know, ace my crim law in law school is that that is already a felony, especially going after law enforcement. So this is just fear mongling and political tactics and really is just a a way to fear mongle. And and unfortunately, it's right before elections. There are no protests that I'm aware of in the state of Florida right now. So this isn't even something that is plaguing our state. We certainly have other priorities. Uh, this is a, you know, this is just a political tactics and uh, politics at its absolute worst. We're talking with the highest ranking Democrat, elected Democrat in the state of Florida, Nikki Freed, the uh, Agriculture Commissioner and Consumer Services Commissioner. Commissioner Freed, back in 2000, your legislature, led by uh, John McKay, he was the Senate president in 2000, told reporters that, this is uh, from a New York Times piece from November 28th, 2000 by David Barstow, that he and the Republicans in both the House and Senate in Florida actually had legislation prepared. They were going to pass it that would direct the state of Florida to cast their electoral votes for George W. Bush, even if the recount that your state Supreme Court had ordered showed that Al Gore actually won the election. There are now multiple reports out of the White House and the Trump campaign that one of the things that is seriously being discussed among Republicans is that in the nine swing states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Ohio, Arizona, New Hampshire, the Constitution says that the state legislatures get to decide how those electoral votes are apportioned. The argument of doing this that was put forward by your state Senate leader back in 2000 was never tested before the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court short-circuited the whole process. But are you hearing anything out of Florida that Republicans are planning something like, let's jam through a piece of legislation through the Florida legislature that would direct the Electoral College members to cast their votes for Donald Trump? I haven't heard that in particular. It wouldn't surprise me seeing the games that the Republican Party continue to do time and time again. I mean, we are seeing it every day here in the state of Florida with voter suppression, kicking people off of voter rolls. We had to pass what's called Amendment 4 here in the state, which dealt with the restoration of civil rights. The fact is that we've got 1.4 million of our Floridians who have paid their debt to society that are waiting for their opportunities to vote here in the state. And the Republican Party passed legislation that was more restrictive than what was in the Constitution. It has been going up through the courts, both in the state side as well as now the federal side. So every step along the way, they try to do voter suppression. So they probably believe that they're going to find a way to win it at the ballot box because of the confusion, trying to really make people fear that they can't go and vote in person, but yet don't rely on the mail system. And so it's creating such a, a, a frenzy with the voters and especially keeping people off the ability to vote. So I think that they're really more focused on voter suppression and voter intimidation than really going after something and, and, you know, unconstitutional and so outside of everything that as uh, somebody who has studied politics since I was able to walk, you know, and respecting of the law and our Constitution and believing in democracy and the passage of power is one of the most sacred parts of our democracy is a peaceful transfer of power. And the fact that the Republicans are even contemplating doing anything to abridge that, it puts our democracy in line and why this election is so important to the future of our country and, quite honestly, stability of the world. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you. We're talking with Florida Commissioner of Agriculture, Nikki Freed, the highest ranking Democrat elected in Florida. Commissioner Freed, what if Democrats ran the state of Florida, what would they be doing differently from what Ron DeSantis is doing? What should be done in Florida? In regards to COVID? <laughs> and any other issue you want to throw in there? We have a minute. Oh, wait, wait, we only have a minute? <laughs> I was like, where do I'm I sorry. start? You know, <laughs> 
You know, first and foremost, dealing with the restoration of civil rights, individuals, the ability to vote is the most sacred part of our Constitution is somebody's ability to, to cast their ballot for, you know, their elected officials in a democracy. So that's one is making sure that that pathway to voting is cleared. But even when it deals with, you know, what we've been doing with COVID, our governor, I just left two back-to-back meetings with our Florida cabinet. He never wore a mask inside of the room. Sitting right next to our chief financial officer has downplayed the COVID from day one, has really never you know, showed leadership on this. He's put his head in the sand right with his boss, the president. And we have lost over 13,000, almost 14,000 Floridians because of this failed leadership. That's mind-boggling. It's truly mind-boggling. Commissioner Freed, thank you so much for dropping by today. It's been great talking with you and uh, very much appreciate the great work you're doing down there in Florida. Absolutely. Thank you for your time today. The Hartman Report is a free daily podcast, seven days a week, and you can find our entire three-hour podcast over at TomHartman.com. Tom in Kintersville, Pennsylvania. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching Free Speech TV. You're on the air, Tom. Thanks, Tom. I'm a monthly contributor, though, but thank you anyway. Now, mm-hmm. if the Democrats hold the House and managed to take the Senate, would you explain to me, wouldn't it be impractical for the Republicans to do a 12th Amendment gambit, or would they do it anyway, probably to just try and delay an inevitable Democratic administration? I think that you have to separate, quote, the Republicans from the the Trump, you know, the, the maggots, you know, the, the Trump uh, humpers. And, um, Donald Trump is desperately trying to hang out of power because he's afraid that he's going to go to prison and that his entire uh, criminal enterprise, the, the, the so-called Trump organization, is going to collapse and end up in bankruptcy and ruins all around him um, you know, by the time that uh, Letitia James and others uh, are done with him. Um, so he's going to push forward on that no matter what. He has a small number of people, certainly within the administration, who are total loyal toadies and will do whatever he says, Bob, uh, Bill Barr at the top of that list. He also has a number of, of senators um, who are apparently willing to do that, um, so, and, and members of the House as well. And, you know, Jim Jordan and all these guys, they're still in, you know, they're still totally in with him. So even though if we take the House and Senate and if Trump manages to, to hang out of the White House, uh, even if he does it with something that is uh, you know, less than um, uh, honorable or credible, like the 12th Amendment, you know, you get some some help from some of the Republican buddies. I think that the next step would be to impeach him all over again. And um, I, I'm not sure that the results would be the same. I think that it might be possible that, uh, uh, particularly if the Democrats take the Senate, although it does take two thirds of the Senate to vote to remove from office. So you'd have to peel off, you know, a, a little short of a dozen, I think, Republicans. But I think it's possible. So I, you know, I don't think this. You're welcome. I, I, I just don't think the game is over here. You know, I think that there's still a ways to go on this. Marty in uh, Wixom, Oakland County. Oh, okay. Yes, I I just want. I just wanted to raise an issue that I think's a little bit under the radar right now, and that is Mm -hmm. Attorney General Barr's designation of New York City as an anarchist jurisdiction. And Portland and Seattle. Yeah. Yes, Portland Seattle, I guess you could sort of see it because of the protests there, but New York has not had a similar situation. But there might be another explanation, and that is I think they may be setting up a legal defense against the Manhattan district attorney, which is looking into Trump and his businesses. Well, he is trying to defund the police in these states. I mean, you know, this is very clear. If, If you cut off federal funds to Seattle, Portland, and New York, and those cities start shutting down, and already their tax base has just been ravaged by this virus, they're going to have to start laying off cops, among other people. I mean, they're going to have to start laying off everybody, and the police and fire will probably be the last to go, but they're going to have to start doing that. And why the press is not calling this an attempt by Donald Trump to defund the police, I don't know. Probably because Democrats are not using that language, because, you know, it's... uh, it's yeah, they certainly could be doing that. Robin. But I'd keep an eye yeah. on this. I'd keep an eye on this Manhattan District Attorney issue. 
They may use yeah. it as a rationale to say he has no jurisdiction to go after the president. Yeah, because the, the Manhattan DA came out and said, we have sufficient evidence just in the public record, just in things published in the New York Times, to charge him with criminal tax evasion, fraud, business fraud, tax fraud. I mean, you know, just a whole bunch of different crimes. So, yeah, could be. Marty, thank you for the call. John in Roselle, Illinois, R-O-S-E-L-L. Yep. Hey, um, you know, everybody's talking about the Supreme Court justice that he's going to try to get one chosen by the end of the week. I think he's right. probably going to delay it just because once he does get that confirmation, if it happens before the election, I think all the evangelicals will probably think, hey, we've gotten what we need out of this clown. We're not going to have another Supreme Court justice pick for a while. So I think he's going to lose a lot. Of Could be. It could be also that he's viewing this as something. I mean, keep in mind how Donald Trump thinks. He thinks like a reality TV star. NBC taught him really, really, really well. And so his goal between now and the time that the majority of the ballots are counted, or his goal between now and November 3rd, let's say, is to do whatever it takes to get 200,000 dead Americans and a, a massive nationwide epidemic that is now nearly 7 million Americans infected and probably somewhere on the order of 700,000 of them perhaps permanently disabled as a consequence of it and 200,000 of them dead, uh, to get that off the headlines, to get that out of the media, to take that away from the conversation that's being had because he's getting absolutely hammered. So, you know, the Supreme Court thing, from his point of view, is a great distraction. The big question is, is it going to help or hurt the Republican Party? And what we saw in 2018 when Kavanaugh did his little performance, it clearly hurt the Republican Party. All the polling shows that the Kavanaugh confirmation hurt the Republican Party in the 2018 election. It's extremely unlikely that either of the women or any of the women, there's supposed to be five women, but I think it's coming down to, to these two, to Barrett or, I'm forgetting her name, the, the woman from Florida, both of whom are you know, fundamentalist Catholics, that neither of those people are going to be accused of rape. I mean, I can say that with certainty, right? And that was the thing that blew up Kavanaugh, frankly, I think even more than his position on abortion. So the question is, is abortion going to be something that activates the middle of America? 70 to 80 percent of Americans think that Roe v. Wade is the way to deal with abortion. You make it basically illegal in the third trimester, you make it easily available in the first trimester, and in that middle second trimester, and this isn't just Roe v. Wade, it's also KCV Planned Parenthood, which is where the trimester thing was nailed down by the Supreme Court. And in that middle three to six month period, there's all kinds of hoops you've got to jump through, you know, if you want to get an abortion. And the majority of Americans think that that's a very reasonable course. And blowing that up may hurt the Republicans or it may activate their base. It may activate our base. I, you know, I, I, I think we just don't know yet, John, how this is going to play out. But I think it would be to his advantage to try to maybe make a pick before the election, but late enough that they can't confirm until after the election. Hmm. This way, those evangelicals stay on board with having to keep him in there to make sure that they get their Supreme Court justice. Yeah, generally these processes from nomination to confirmation, uh, you know, typically they take around 70 to 80 days. Obviously he's trying to fast track this, but we'll see, we'll see. John, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you. This gets the Tom Hartman program. Talk media for the sane left among us. Yes, there's some of us still here. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. So how do you think this is all going to shake out? And none dare call it genocide? Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. 
Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are, too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. On this week's Science Revolution, how Trump's new herd mentality strategy could kill six million Americans and destroy our economy. Trump doesn't know how to run a business, so we shouldn't be surprised that he doesn't know how to run a country. His latest failure, tragically, is the United States of America. Economist Richard Wolf and Dr. Justin Frank drop by on all this. Plus, Dr. Gary Yo is here on the apocalyptic wildfires and climate warming. Tune into the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are available. Joe in Villa Park, Illinois. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind today? Oh, Tom, I know you referenced bomb trains, and as a retired railroad conductor, I wanted to make the point that those trains only started becoming uh, more prevalent when fracking started up. I really am not, you know, I really do want to get down to a carbon-free society, but the mm-hmm. trains took the place of building pipelines. And we're, the pipelines once are built, you know, they, you know, we're talking about railroad professionals are federally licensed and most of the time union jobs where they've had accidents in the past. It's usually because of poor upkeep of track or a non-union carrier to try to get by with just one guy on the train. Yeah, I don't think anybody's blaming the guys who work on the railroads. You know, nobody's in favor of more unemployment. Wouldn't it be great if instead of uh, carrying around loads of explosive materials, oil and whatnot, that those same trains were instead carrying, you know, fresh steel to build new bridges all over the country? You know, a a Green New Deal, Joe. Oh, absolutely. I agree. And then uh, the other question I had was one of the Democrats going to start holding uh, Bill Barr accountable. These guys have their foot on the gas and he's going to be advising Trump just like he did with H.W. Bush even if Trump's defeated. Oh, I agree. And there'll be massive numbers of pardons right after the election, just like with George H.W. Bush in Christmas Eve, 1992. And that was Bill Barr who did that. He shut down the entire Iran-Contra investigation into Reagan's treason against America, uh, simply by pardoning Ollie North and Casper Weinberger and a bunch of other guys. I'm with you, Joe. I'm with you. And and the Democrats, you know, they've announced in Congress that they are investigating Barr, but, you know, he's just not going to cooperate. Chad Wolf uh, refused to show up day before yesterday, the, the acting director of the Department of Homeland Security, DHS. And, you know, Congress is like, well, what do we do now? You know, it's really unfortunate. I think that they need to use inherent contempt, but I don't think it's going to happen. 
They do need, though, to be taking names and kicking ass. Daryl in D.C., in Washington, D.C. Hey, Daryl. Well, I know a lot of Bernie supporters call the show, and I, I got no problems with Bernie, but I just want to say that uh, I'm a big pro-Biden guy, and I'm not holding my nose. I'm actually excited to, to vote for him. So that, that was just a comment I had. I think Joe Biden is a great guy. I think he's got a strong moral compass. There are hiccups or problems, shall we say, with some of his voting record in the past, but so what? Yeah, Franklin he's an Roosevelt gentleman, yeah, was, yeah, Franklin Roosevelt was no uh, saint when he became president either, so... Absolutely. I'm not going to get into all that, but I think he's a, he's a great man. I know a lot of people that know him personally, so I think he's a great man. My question to you yeah, is about, obviously, the SCOTUS pick. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, well, that's an honor. I'm really concerned about the SCOTUS, obviously, and I'm concerned that we're, <laughs> you know, point that we're past the point of they're going to steal the election. So my question to you is, you know, this could turn really ugly. I mean, you're talking about press losing credentials, maybe even get arrested and things like that. I, I Not to be alarmist, but I really think if this isn't stopped, that's where this is headed. And I'm just concerned. I'm worried, like everyone else, of course, but on a positive side, is there anything you see down the pike here that, that's going to stop this other than just flooding the streets with voting, of course, and then in mass protests uh, like Belarus? I mean, I don't – serious question. I, I really – I'm looking for some positive here, and I, I'm not finding it. Yeah, no, I, I, I think the stakes are insanely high, Daryl. Louise and I were talking about this last night, and, and she was like, you know, if Trump wins, well, you know, where are we going to be at in a year or two years? And I said, I'll, I'll probably be in jail. I mean, <laughs> I, I was not kidding. I mean, I, I think, that, I think that that's, you know, the stakes are really high, particularly for people who are high-profile progressives. And that's what has happened. If you look at, you know, what happened to the high-profile progressives in Turkey, they're all in prison right now. You look at the high-profile progressives in Brazil, most of them are in prison right now. You look at the high-profile pro- progressives in the Philippines or in India, they're in prison right now. Not that I'm particularly hysterical about that or not that I expect that, but I think it's a very real possibility that he comes after people like me. And he's gonna, which means he's going to be coming after, he's going to come after me after he goes after all the people who are in the streets in all probability. And frankly, I don't see any solution right now other than voting and being in the streets in the event that there is some, you know, really, really naked power grab, you know, throwing it to the Supreme Court or a state legislature in Wisconsin and Michigan deciding to direct their electoral college vote to Donald Trump, even though the state goes for Joe Biden, something like that. I don't see an alternative, uh, Daryl, and I got no magic bullets for you. Do you think there's any chance at all that anybody here is, and not to go crazy here, but is a double agent? Oh, I think Donald Trump is. I, you know, I, there's no doubt in my mind that Donald Trump is not working in the interest of America, whether he is doing this oh, no, he's just dancing to the tune of Vladimir Putin like, or whether it's like some kind of international crime syndicate. I don't know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, I, I meant the other way around, like Barr working in. Obviously, that's a hard thing to imagine. But Barr actually oh. appeasing Trump because he's because he's afraid of Trump. I think no, Barr no, is doing afraid, what Barr was doing back region. in the. Yeah, I don't think, you know, Barr is a double, you know, I think these, there are people who ideologically believe that authoritarianism is what you have to have because humans are essentially evil and you've got to have, to, to paraphrase Thomas Hobbes, the iron fist of church or state, otherwise there's chaos. I think the good news, Daryl, what's significantly different about America right now and Germany in 1933 is that Americans today can look back at the history of Germany in 1933 and the history of Italy and Spain and Chile and other countries that have gone through this and say, holy crap, we don't want to go down that road. And that is right now probably 20-25% of the Republican electorate that is reflected by the Lincoln Project and George Conway and all these folks, you know, the Steve Schmitz of the world. And frankly, they're the margin, I believe, that is going to flip this all against Trump. But it's going to be a hell of a lift. Great work. Daryl, thanks for the call. Yeah, you keep up the great work, too. The only two presidents who were ever impeached, thus credibly accused of crimes that rose to the level of impeachment, and then those crimes were indicted in the House of Representatives with an impeachment vote and tried in the United States Senate. The only two presidents that had that happen, by coincidence, and I'm sure it's just a coincidence, are the only two presidents whose Department of Justice's Office of Legal Counsel wrote a memo saying you can't arrest a sitting president. What he's doing is too important. He's too busy. He would never go out on the golf course one-third of his presidency. He's busy. You can't arrest him.
And Trump now is claiming that not only can't you arrest him, you can't even investigate him, even if he commits murder. Anyway, we've got a video about a president who actually did get arrested for a crime and convicted of it. You can check it out over at TomHartman.com. Tag your it. Lindsay in Gary, Indiana. Hey, Lindsay, what's on your mind today? I think this form of government should fall because as a black man of 70 years old, when has this ever been a democracy for black people? When? Tell me a time in our history when has this been a democracy for my people? It never has, Lindsay. And, and the goal, I think, so, of the so Black why, Lives Matter why, movement why, and a lot of other why, people is to create that. There aren't Republicans anymore. They're Maccabalians. They would yeah. do anything to stay in power. When I was in 10th grade, I had to learn Mark Anthony's soliloquy in Julius Caesar. And a lot mm-hmm. of this whole prophetic, it says, the evil that men do live long after them. The good is often interred in their bones. And the judges that Trump has appointed will be there for 40 years before they yeah. can relinquish power. Even if Biden does get in, the damage has been done, especially to black people and Native Americans. It's going to take yes. trillions of and dollars Hispanics. to educate black and brown children. They've already created slaves. They don't have to own slaves. They just have to rent them. Yeah. I think of the hypocrisy. This could have been avoided simply by voting for Clinton in 2016. So all of you who all are crying now who didn't vote for Clinton for a lot of reasons, you have nothing to say about this. Election well, I believe in redemption, Lindsay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to I, accept. It, I'm, I'm willing Tom, to, to bring back Tom, into the fold, people. Tom, Tom, redemption has been heaped on us for 400 years. And what has it gotten us? Redemption. If you're serious in saying that this government or this form of government has to fall, what are you going to replace it with? I don't know, but it's got to be better than this. As for begging Trump supporters to wear masks, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to take care of myself. This person's not the best. But I hope and pray I'm around a Trump supporter when they're deathly ill. I wouldn't give them a toothpick. I'm angry, and I've been taught by masters. Republicans... Christians, especially evangelical Christians. So let it Lindsay, go. you raise a fundamental conundrum, and this is the one that Peter Farb lays out in stark detail in his books Man's Rise to Civilization back in the late 60s, early 70s, and that Daniel Quinn lays out in his Ishmael books, which is that at the point of first contact, when Europeans arrived in North America, Native Americans were confronted with people who were willing to commit genocide. Europeans, white Europeans, not only were willing to commit genocide, genocidal war was something that had been essentially perfected in Europe. Kill as many people as possible. Whereas, with a few exceptions, the vast majority of Native American tribes never fought wars whose goal was to kill everybody on the other side, or even a large number of the people on the other side. Counting coup, an old concept from the Plains Indians, from their, quote, warfare. When you drew the first blood off somebody, that was considered a coup. They were out of the game, essentially. And the challenge that these Native people had was, how do you deal with somebody who's psychotic? How do you deal with somebody who is trying to kill you? How do you deal with somebody who is trying to commit genocide? If you continue a noble way of life and essentially ignore their insanity, they will kill you. If you fight back and you use the tools that they are using, because you pretty much have to, then you have become them. You become the genocider, as it were. And that was not acceptable to many tribes. The third option that many tribes chose, and Farb just tragically lays this all out in his book, and also in his book Humankind, which came out in the mid-70s, the third option is run which is what a lot of native tribes did. And eventually, you know, you hit the Pacific Ocean. There's no place else to run to. You know, in some ways, we're confronting those same issues again. John in Portland, Oregon. Hey, John, what's up? I wanted to comment on what I think is Trump's take on the fact that COVID disproportionately affects black and brown people. I'm looking at a CDC page here 
which reports that so far this year there are a little over 2 million people who have died in the country, which they attribute 187,000, or about 9%, to COVID. And then they note also that that is 110% of the expected death rate. And I know people quibble, you can't say the 10% is dying of COVID, but the vast majority of those died because of COVID, even if it was because they died of something else because they didn't get care. What that means is that the 200,000 people that we reach today is really 400 to 500,000 people. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, my dad died of a stroke, but he had cancer. (laughs) He had had mesothelioma and bladder cancer, and it was the cancer that caused the stroke that killed him. But his death certificate, you know, I actually have never seen his death certificate, but it wouldn't surprise me if it said stroke. He stroked out, he was locked in for six or seven days, and then he died. So yeah, somebody gets COVID and, and, you know, they've got heart disease on top of that, and their heart stops beating. It's going to be, you got COVID and you got heart disease, which is which. But this is one of these specious arguments that's being made by QAnon and by the Trump supporters, you know, the, the, uh, the, the maggots out there. It's not helping them because this is a really nasty disease. Our book today is How to Get Rid of a President by David Priest. And this is from the chapter rejected by the party, starting on page 12, kind of mid-chapter. Presidents need not be thrown out at the polls on election day to find themselves dislodged from the White House. History shows us that a chief executive's own political allies can remove that incumbent when they perceive him as unpopular or unfit. Refusing to nominate a president for a second term, or better yet, getting the incumbent to realize that he should walk away before it becomes an embarrassing vote at the convention does bring the party significant pain. But many politicians have calculated that discarding their own party's toxic president by internal action is better than waiting for the voters to do it. This dynamic remained absent for the first half century or so of American politics. George Washington, who didn't represent any formal party, set a precedent by stepping away from re-election after two terms. Successor after successor followed suit, keeping the support of their parties until they left office after eight years. Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, and Jackson lost the next election, both Adamses and Van Buren, or met the Grim Reaper, Harrison. John Tyler, if only in this one respect, was a trendsetter. He began a six-president cascade of men who failed to appear on their party's ballot in the general election after their first term. One, Zachary Taylor, literally had no choice. Like Harrison, he died in office. The others, by staying alive through their four-year terms, could have carried their party's banners again on election day, Not one did, as national agonizing over slavery and other tensions within each of the major parties made it difficult for any president to build and sustain a governing coalition. Of those five chief executives, only James Polk left with a solid reputation and a ledger of successes. He told Democrats upon his nomination in 1844, I shall enter upon the discharge of the high and solemn duties of the office with the settled purpose of not being a candidate for re-election. And he stayed true to his word. It was just as well, only three months after what would have been his second inauguration, he died at the age of 53. The three presidents who followed Polk, the forgettable series of Millard Fillmore, Franklin Pierce, and James Buchanan, shared three characteristics. First, historians routinely rank them among the nation's worst presidents. Second, and related to that, they took no responsibility for resolving the national moral failure of slavery. And third, no matter how they had attained office, they, like future presidents Chester Arthur and Lyndon Johnson, found themselves spurned by their own parties. The Whigs had learned in 1840 that a celebrity candidate seemed to have an easier route into the White House than a party regular. So in 1848, they nominated General Zachary Taylor, a recent hero of battlefields in the Mexican-American War. Despite his lack of solid political principles or any apparent passion for the job, Just two years earlier, he'd said with apparent sincerity, I am not and never shall be an aspirant for that honor. Taylor won the election over Democratic candidate Lewis Cass. In July 1850, he became the second straight Whig general to president who couldn't make it to the next election alive. Vice President Millard Fillmore took his place. Not long after rising to become the chief executive, Fillmore declared he wouldn't run again in the 1852 election. He portrayed his about face as a noble personal sacrifice for the good of the party and the country. And during the spring of that election year, eight Whig state conventions endorsed him. 
As delegates gathered for what a leading historian of the era calls the longest, most rancorous, and most debilitating Whig National Convention ever to meet, the first tally had Fillmore in the lead. How to get rid of a president. Angela, New York City. Hey, Angela, what's up? What I've noticed is the past few days since RBG died on Friday, especially on Twitter, there's been a lot of troll activity. And today it's particularly vicious. What they're doing is it's something what we call reaction formation. In other words, it's psychological warfare, calling Democrats Nazis and calling us the fascists and calling us, you know, the ones that are the aggressors and, you know, Antifa, using the keywords. And what's happening is that I know that I made two comments this morning and I have been dogged all day. My phone has been like going off to the point where I had to turn it off. That just shows that there's a concerted effort to silence us. And we need to just move off of these platforms and come up with a plan because he is going to steal this election if we don't do something. They're organized yeah. and they're, they're out to defeat us. And they're well-funded. And they're funded by foreign governments as well as billionaires in the United States. I'm with you. Angela, thank you for the call. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport especially this time around, and go to IWillVote.com and double-check your voter registration. Do it now, because the Republicans are purging people as we speak. We'll see you tomorrow. Tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.